Mostly what I do is just laugh and swear a lot and it seems to work. It's perfect. Welcome to the W3, the Wellness for Wildlife Warriors podcast, the podcast where we discuss all things mental health as it relates to wildlife rehabbers, but we are not giving human or non-human medical advice. It's also not a replacement or substitute for therapy or rehab advice. Your hosts are myself, Stephanie McMahon, and Renee Schott. Renee, why don't you introduce yourself? Hi, everyone. My name is Renee Schott, and I'm a veterinarian and the medical director at the Wildlife Rehabilitation Center of Minnesota. We think we're the largest in the world. Uh, Last year, we admitted almost 18,000 animals, which is ridiculous. I've been at WRC for about 11 years, but I started out as a rehabilitator before veterinary school and have worked in centers big and small. I also teach some classes at the University of Minnesota, am a contract instructor for the International Wildlife Rehabilitation Council. Right now I'm doing some relief work at a local zoo, which has been some fun enrichment for myself. (laughs) Steph, why don't you introduce yourself? Sure. I'm Stephanie McMahon and I'm a registered psychotherapist qualifying in Ontario, Canada. I'm a certified compassion fatigue specialist through the Traumatology Institute and an EMDR trained therapist. I'm the board chair at Aspen Valley Wildlife Sanctuary here in Muskoka, Ontario. Uh, We are a wildlife rehabilitation center that admits about 600 patients a year, and we're a permanent home to about 30 wildlife residents. We specialize in aquatic mammal rehabilitation, such as beavers and otters, and we're also one of the few, if not the only rehab facility in Ontario that rehabs moose. I've worked in the animal industry in various capacities and have been involved in wildlife rehab since 2012. I'm a certified wildlife rehabilitator through the International Wildlife Rehabilitation Council, uh, but I don't actively rehab at this time. Dude, that is so cool that you rehab moose. Like, how much fun (laughs) are they? They must be the cutest Uh, little calves. They are. (laughs) They're they're pretty awesome. (laughs) There's. I'll send you a video. I have a video of them like kissing each other. Little calves. This is the best. Yes. Awesome. Okay, I'm excited. I'm also excited to be starting this podcast at the beginning of baby season. And so to kick it off, we're going to cover compassion fatigue, what it is, how to identify it, and discuss why all wildlife professionals experience it. And then we'll end with uh, mentioning a couple of things you can do to check in with yourself. So Steph, um, why don't you start out by talking about the official definition of compassion fatigue? So the official definition of compassion fatigue um, is that it can also be thought of as secondary traumatic stress. Some sources of information will group it in with burnout, but the symptoms of compassion fatigue are slightly different, although there are aspects that overlap and you can have both. At a basic level, compassion fatigue happens when you run out of empathy. But, But wait, I thought compassion was the concept of understanding how someone else is feeling but that empathy was the idea of feeling someone else's feelings. Unfortunately, it's a poorly defined construct. Even a lot of the literature confuses these terms. So empathy is the ability to feel what another person or animal is experiencing from within their frame of reference, whereas compassion is understanding what someone else is feeling and having the desire to help them. So could we maybe think of it instead as empathy fatigue? Might be more accurate. Compassion fatigue is a condition that happens when the cost of caring for others becomes too much and we aren't taking care of our own needs. 
I can think of several examples of this in the context of wildlife rehabilitation, especially baby season. Can I interject with some? Sure, go ahead. Since I always think of compassion fatigue as a sort of secondary PTSD, I consider the amount of trauma I see in one day. I might start out with a baby bird missing a wing from a cat and then examine an opossum that was beat by some assholes. Then move on to a turtle with a shattered shell because someone swerved to hit the turtle. And that's like in the first 30 minutes of a typical work day. So then to top it off, even the animals I do decide to treat, they are suffering every day. I'm a predator to each and every one of them and they all hate me. They are scared. They are in an unnatural environment surrounded by predators, us, which is terrifying. So seeing all of those animals suffer, being an empath myself, can sometimes emotionally hurt and occasionally physically hurt. Doing this day after day, humans aren't designed to deal with this sort of secondary trauma. So by the end of busy season, I'm either so numbed out to the suffering of my patients or I've had enough panic attacks that I need to call in sick for a week. Right. So symptoms are often physical. And emotional exhaustion, feeling detached, being irritable or angry can often result in creating conflicts with other people in our life. Reducing efficiency or productivity, reduced empathy, feeling overly sensitive or reduced sensitivity to the stories you hear. Reduced stress tolerance and some other symptoms like difficulty sleeping or physical symptoms like headache and nausea. So what you're feeling either detached or overwhelmed is how your brain is dealing with the trauma. It's, it's normal. Well natural. Your brain is protecting you. But it feels so shitty. Yeah. Brains are designed to rescue you from these types of situations. So like we're not made to do this every day. It feels shitty because it is shitty. You will hit your limit and panic attack is your brain saying it hurts. Stop. The unfortunate reality is that this often isn't possible to just stop and you probably get some level of satisfaction from doing this job. It is my full-time job, which I'm lucky to have. So then I have secondary feelings of guilt, but that I think is a whole nother episode. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Part of me wants to run and hide during baby season. And another part of me loves what I do. It's often hard to hold these two feelings at once. Right. So it's not an either or. You can both love your job and recognize when it's taking a toll. There are a lot of ways that compassion fatigue can show up in our lives and recognize the red flags in yourself and your team members can help you recognize when you're on this path. Um, If you consider the condition in which wildlife professionals work, it's easy to understand why they experience compassion fatigue. Wildlife rehabbers deal with a number of stressors that can lead to compassion fatigue. And when you only care, can only care so much and you're bombarded with things that could, you could care about, right? You could be empathetic about a hurt animal many hurt animals, orphaned babies needing care, many orphaned babies needing care, (laughs) a family or friend of your own needing your help and attention, phone going off, any pets you have that need your care and attention, members of the public who are in a position where they need you, and a million other things that you're supposed to care and pay attention to. Well, it's easy to see how your brain's natural response is to just stop caring. and detach from all of the giving that you're trying to do. When this happens, this is where you start to notice the little things that irritate you. The frustration, the feeling of being detached, low energy, fatigue, burnout. These are all a normal response to the overwhelming demands of this job. Now I'm feeling a little hopeless. (laughs) Like this job is hard and I'm going to hit a wall and I'm not going to be able to do my job at some point, which then just makes me feel stuck. 
should I start looking for a new career now? <laughs> well, no. <laughs> the, the antidote is self-care and satisfaction. Compassion satisfaction is finding the joys of the job and remembering why you got into it in the first place. Paying attention to the efforts you're putting in, the results you're seeing, the feelings of satisfaction, and when you know you've helped an animal. So recognizing that these feelings of satisfaction don't only come from successful rehabs and being recognized for the work that you do. While those certainly play a role, it also involves patting yourself on the back for the small accomplishments. Getting caught up on the laundry so the babies have nice clean beds to sleep on. Getting formula ready so their bellies are full. Euthanizing the animal that won't make it and ending its pain. These are all wins that people often forget to recognize for themselves. I get the CVT that you're doing here. (laughs) Reframing everything. But I feel like being present and a gratitude journal are just not going to fix me. (laughs) So there's definitely more pieces to this puzzle. (laughs) You're not going to think happy thoughts and make the suffering go away. Compassion is also refilled when you provide yourself with what you need in order to keep going. You can't run a car forever without putting fuel in the tank. You need to eat and drink. You need to take breaks. Just be present in the moment whenever you can throughout the day. Hamster wheeling is not healthy. I find rehabilitators and veterinary professionals are the worst at taking their breaks. Sometimes to the point of taking a break is a sign of weakness. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And this is a culture of caring issue. So it's not just wildlife rehabbers that do this. It's a lot of different professions that are taking care of people or even um, caregivers to family members, friends, that kind of stuff. Um, so not only in rehab, but in many caring professions, give, 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 give at the sacrifice of self. To our detriment, right? To use your phrase, this isn't the martyr Olympics. No one (laughs) benefits from comparing scars or breaking how bad one day's one's day was, right? Right. So living in the negative, trying to one-up each other on who has it worse, that's not helpful either. Um, Find ways to bring joy into your daily, daily life. You cannot exhale unless you inhale. So along the lines of Brene Brown, right? Think of the self-care and moments of satisfaction or joy as the inhale and the giving and caring as the exhale. They work together. Yeah. 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 I've heard this so many times before and I <laughs> end up getting stuck in the how to implement it. Like I don't enjoy bubble baths or pedicures. Um, oh my God. My self-care is about way more than baths and stuff. <laughs> Sure. Yeah. Those things can be nice, but they aren't the only way or even the most practical way, to be honest. Um, In the next episode, we will talk about the no bullshit self-care that is simple. Uh, It's going to be tips on making your day run smoothly, figuring out what self-care looks like for you and how to make it work into your day. That sounds great. So everyone join us next time when we talk about the no bullshit self-care. I'm excited because it has profanity in the title. (laughs) Also, we are holding a weekly Zoom peer support group for rehabbers. The group will be focused on supporting one another. However, again, I need to be clear that this is a support group, not a place to receive specific vet advice or therapy. You can find details and the link on our Facebook page, Wellness for Wildlife Warriors podcast. See you next time. Bye for now.